0: Good evening, everyone. Our second Bible reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, all the way to chapter 5, verse 10. I'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. or on the screen behind me, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honour upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek.
1: My name's Ollie. I'm one of the ministers of our church, great to be with you this morning. Uh, It'd be great if you could keep your, uh, this evening, great if you could keep your Bible open. I'll pray though, and then we'll make a start. So would you pray with me? Gracious Father, uh, for these three things we pray, to see you more clearly, to love you more deeply, to follow you more nearly. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Being qualified for a task can sometimes be the difference between life and death. I know a guy who tried to fix his own air conditioner. The problem was he's not a trained electrician. And so he thought he'd cut the power to that air conditioner, but he didn't realize there's a three phase specifically to that air conditioner. So when he reached behind it, he got electrocuted. As the current started passing through him, as as does happen, his hand clenched up on the wire. And if he hadn't have used his other arm to knock his hand away, things could have gone even worse for him. As it was, he he still got quite a nasty shock. His shoes got blown out. And he learned the lesson well, don't try and fix your own air conditioner. But being qualified for a task can often be the difference between life and death. And we understand that. We're heading into the warmer weather now. Think about the summer. Think about beach time. When you're there and you're swimming, you want to know that the lifeguards know how to swim. Because if they don't know how to swim and you get in trouble, then you might drown and they might drown. Being qualified for a task can be the difference between life and death. Or think about when you're going for an operation, you want to know that the person on the other end of that scalpel knows what they're doing. As they cut you open and as they do stuff with you on that operating table. Because if they don't, then you face the real possibility of dying. Being qualified for a task can often be the difference between life and death. And it is going to be like that in the end. See, at the end of our life, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. In a sense, we will all enter into the cosmic courtroom. I was talking to a friend recently and he told me about a time he went to court. He had to oversee some uh, major building works that were happening. And he said to me, Ollie, going to court is a scary thing. There's the big wooden desk with the magistrate sitting on it. There's the barristers there and they're tearing apart every word you say. It is an intimidating place. And if that's what an earthly courtroom is like, imagine how much more the cosmic courtroom where we're sitting not before an earthly judge, but before the divine judge of all things. And what we need then is someone who is qualified to represent us. I mean, you wouldn't dream of turning up to the High Court of Australia without a lawyer. I mean, look at the court case going on at the moment with Gina Reinhart. Don't know if you're following that, but she's apparently got seven barristers working for her, totaling up to approximately $250,000 per day. That's how much she is spending on someone to represent her. Why? Well, because the stakes are so high. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And if the stakes are high for her with that court case, imagine how much higher the stakes are for us as we face not just an earthly judge, but the cosmic judge of all things. See, this isn't just a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. And so what we need then in this cosmic courtroom is someone who is qualified to represent us. See, we all need, in a sense, a lawyer because we are all clients who are in trouble. We cannot stand on our own record. My question then is, are we going to have a representative who is qualified for the task? Someone who is qualified to represent us before God in the cosmic courtroom. Because having someone qualified for the task can be the difference, not just between life and death, but between eternal life and eternal death. But who is qualified for that? Well, the answer that Hebrews gives, and the answer the whole Bible gives, in fact, is that there is only one person who is qualified for that task. Jesus. So far in Hebrews, we've seen how Jesus is better than the angels. We've seen how his humanity means he can speak for us. We've seen how he's better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than anything else. And today, we will see how he is better than any other earthly priest, anyone else who might try and represent us before God. Why? What is qualifications? Well, our passage gives us four. Firstly, Jesus is supremely qualified to represent us before God because he understands us. The passage starts by telling us we have a high priest in heaven and we should keep clinging to him. Then we're showing this high priest is worth clinging to because he understands what we're going through. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 15 with me. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. See, Jesus understands us because he has experienced what we have experienced. Just like us, Jesus was tempted to sin. I'm sure there's many ways we can imagine that might be perhaps Jesus was tempted to lie. To save his life, wouldn't you be when you're standing before the soldiers with spears and there's a cross and nails and hammer in the corner and they ask you, Are you God? Wouldn't you be tempted to lie to save your life? Perhaps Jesus was tempted to disobey his parents. After all, he's the one that made all things and here is his creation telling him what to do. Perhaps Jesus was tempted to get revenge. Many times he was wrongly accused and mistreated and with simply a word from his mouth he could have called an army of angels to come and destroy them. Perhaps Jesus was tempted to doubt God and doubt God's plans when his friend and colleague John the Baptist was beheaded at the whim of a young girl. Whatever it looked like, in whatever way it was Jesus was tempted just like us. And so he has a great deal of sympathy for us. In fact, that word there used in verse 15, sympathy carries the idea of a mother to her child. And that is what Jesus is to us. That is the level of sympathy and empathy that Jesus has for us. A deep, deep emotional resonance. That is what he has for you, like a mother to her child. Because he's experienced what you have experienced and that then is why he is qualified to represent you because he gets you. He's not standing off somewhere, aloof and uncaring, looking down his nose at you. No, he's standing alongside you, completely understanding what you are going through because he's experienced what you are experiencing. But with one key difference. Did you see what the difference is? Have a look at verse 15. Yet he did not sin. See, unlike us, Jesus never gave in to sin in the face of jealousy and anger, lust and pride, selfishness and arrogance, whatever it is. In the face of it all, Jesus stood firm. And that means that he, above anyone else, truly understands the power of temptation. C.S. Lewis talks about this famous author. I love what he says. Uh, This is what he says. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. And Jesus didn't just resist sin and temptation for an hour, but a lifetime. For a lifetime, Jesus faced the building pressure to give in and so he above anyone else truly understands just how powerful it is it's like someone who completes a marathon knows much more the ache of tiredness than someone who calls it quits after one lap or like someone who endures torture and never caves knows much more the pain of it than someone who gives in at the first sight of the knife See, Jesus knows far more the power of sin and temptation than we do because he never caved. And that intimate knowledge means he understands us. Now, a little bit later, we're going to come back and think about verse 16 because I think it's actually one of the keys to understanding the whole passage. But for now, isn't it such a comfort to know that Jesus understands us? I was chatting to a friend recently and uh, he told me this passage is the passage he goes to when he's feeling down. asked why and he said, it's because it brings such comfort to know that we have someone who understands us, who gets us. Jesus, the one who's eternal, the one who made all things, the one who sits at God's right hand, that one gets you. And he's right there with you through it all when you feel almost at the point of breaking in the face of seemingly overwhelming temptation, he's right there alongside you, knowing just how hard it is to fight sin. When you weep in the face of failure to resist sin, he weeps with you, knowing just how seductive the power of sin is. When you sing for joy, it resists him on the devil's schemes. He sings for joy with you, knowing just what a joyful thing it is to resist sin. See, that is who Jesus is. And that means then that he's perfectly qualified to represent you because he's he's not an uncaring robot. I'd imagine often at court the baristas might be so obsessed with the technicalities of the law that they don't understand us, the people that they're representing. But that is not Jesus. Jesus understands us. The second reason he's perfectly qualified to represent us is because he's one of us. The passage now moves to talk about earthly high priests and they were chosen from among the people to speak for the people. Have a look at verse 1. Every uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now that makes sense, of course, Someone can't represent us if they're not one of us. We see this idea particularly strongly in international sport. Take cricket, for example. Now, I know that most of you hate cricket. I love cricket. You're probably thinking, a sport match that goes for five days, why would you do that? Whereas I'm thinking, why stop at five? Why not go to ten? I love cricket. But I went and checked out the International Cricket Council's rules for eligibility if you want to represent a country, and they've got two. Either you are born in that country or you have a valid citizenship for that country, which makes sense. If someone wants to represent Australia, they have to either have been born in Australia or have a valid Australian citizenship. Of course, that makes sense. And in the same way, our representative before God has to be one of us. But the problem is, all of the options from among us aren't up to the task. In the Old Testament, they had this whole priestly system set up And being chosen as the high priest was a great honor. You got the privilege of getting to do the sacrifices for people. You got to have the honor of interceding for people before God. But the problem was that the high priests could only go so far because they themselves were sinful as well. Have a look at verse 3. Speaking of the high priests, the high priest has to offer sacrifices for his own sin as well as for the sins of the people. See, normal, normal priests cannot cut it because normal priests are sinful as well. What we need instead, then, is a sinless man. One who was chosen from among us and so could represent us, but one who also isn't tainted by sin. And in Jesus, that is what we have. Isn't it wonderful to think that Jesus is human, that Jesus is one of us, I wonder whether you've ever been in a situation where someone has shown you a great humanness. I once saw a, a, a footage of a news reporter who's in America and is at the scene of a mass shooting, very sad. And he saw this man sitting in the gutter crying and he went up to the man and asked what happened. And the man with tears streaming down his face said to this news reporter, my mum has just been shot. Do you know what the news reporter did? He put down the microphone. He sat in the gutter next to the man, put his arm around his shoulder and wept with the man whose mum had just been shot and killed. And that is humanness. That is being human. And that is what Jesus is like. Jesus is human. Jesus is one of us. And that is why he can speak for us. The third reason he's supremely qualified to speak for us is because he is chosen by God for the task. Now here the author refers to Aaron, the first of the Abrahamic priests. We heard that in our first Bible reading. I don't know if you remember him from a few months ago with our series in Exodus. He is Moses' brother. And in Exodus 28, God tells Moses to bring Aaron and bring Aaron's sons, and God will make them his priests. And that then set the pattern for what was to come God was the one who chose the high priest. You couldn't just wake up one day, you couldn't wake up and say, I think I'll become a high priest today. Not at all. You had to be appointed by God, not self-appointed. And just like Aaron and just like the earthly priests, Jesus didn't self-appoint, but was chosen by God for the task. Have a look at verse 5. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. See, just like Aaron, Jesus didn't choose himself and that is why he can represent us because he is chosen by God for the task. But while they're similar in this way, Jesus is actually far better than Aaron. As uh, Caleb helpfully said earlier at the start, one of the key themes of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. So far we've seen Jesus is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, and now better than Aaron. And here in particular, we're given two reasons why. Firstly, Jesus is a son priest. Have a look at verse 5 again. But God said to Jesus, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Jesus is God's son. But not just a son, which is good, but not that good. After all, we get called sons of God as well. But God calls Jesus my son. And Jesus is actually the only one in the whole Bible that God calls my son. It's the only one that God says that to. And as this son priest, Jesus is far better than Aaron, a higher class of priest. We're then given a second way that Jesus is better. He's also a king priest. Have a look at verse 6. And he says, in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. Now that's a great name for a son. I think if I have a third son, I will call him Melchizedek. I'll have Levi and Noah and Melchizedek. I think you can shorten it to lots of great names. Melchizedek, maybe Kizer, all sorts of good nicknames you can shorten it to. But I don't know if you remember who this guy is. Do you remember who Melchizedek is? He's from Genesis 14. And at that stage, God has chosen Abraham and given Abraham a military victory. And as Abraham is then returning back home, he comes across this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, and he's also described as the priest of God Most High. Melchizedek is a king priest. And as they meet, we might expect that Melchizedek would give a gift to Abraham. After all, Abraham's the one that God has chosen. But actually, it's the opposite. Abraham gives a gift to Melchizedek. And it shows us just how important Melchizedek is. Now, uh, later on in our series, we'll come back to Melchizedek because the author expands on him. But for now, the point to see is that Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek. That is, he is a king priest. He's a priest not in the order of Aaron, but a higher order. And so do you see how much better then Jesus is than Aaron? Aaron is good, but Jesus is better. But even as great as Jesus is, a son priest and a king priest, even he still cannot take this task on himself. Rather, he, even he is still chosen by God. And that then is why he's perfectly qualified to represent us because he was chosen for us. And in fact, that is what we need. I don't know if you've thought about it, but so often we make bad choices for ourselves. One family story I like to, we like to reminisce about we're with my family is a time from when we were all kids. Me and my brother were about 10. My sister was about 13 or so. And we're at a cafe and we're eating potato wedges. And me and my sister couldn't finish. Ours were too full. We got about halfway through, couldn't fit anymore. But my brother ate all of his, Then he said, I can eat yours. And so he ate all of mine. He ate all of my sister's. And then do you know what he proceeded to do? Vomit all over the floor of the cafe. That's terrible. But that is often what we're like, isn't it? Often we make bad choices. He made a bad choice. His eyes were bigger than his stomach. He thought he could eat it, but he couldn't. And so often, if left to our own devices, that is what we're like. We choose to eat that extra slice of cake or buy that thing we can't afford We choose to say that thing we shouldn't, or to avoid that run we should go on. So often, we make bad choices for ourselves. But there's no danger of that here, because God chooses for us. God, the perfectly wise, perfectly just, perfectly insightful one, knows just what we need, even if we don't. And he has chosen Jesus for us. Jesus, the one who is exactly what we need. The final reason that Jesus is perfectly qualified to represent us before God is because he suffered for us. Now one of the key things about Jesus is his submission and his obedience. Verse 7 tells us about his reverence submission. He is willing to submit himself to the Father's will. What did that look like? Oh, we see that in verses 8 to 10. Have a look with me. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now I wonder, what do you make of those verses? They're almost the, the epitome of Hebrews, aren't they? Exceedingly dense Logically rich, so it's hard to even figure out what he's saying. So much so, though, so dense, I think there's four things we can learn from just those couple of verses. Firstly, Jesus is God's Son. We thought about that already before, but it's, it's worth thinking about again. Jesus isn't just a servant of God. He's not just a wonderfully wise man. He's not just a good and righteous person. Jesus was and is the Son of God. That then leads into the second thing we can learn. As God's son, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, you might be thinking, it says Jesus learned obedience. Does that mean he didn't know obedience before and now has learned it in the way we might learn a maths equation? I don't think that's what it means. I think it's referring to the difference between tested and untested obedience before his incarnation. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. But that obedience had not been tested in the furnace of suffering. Yet when he came to earth and when he suffered, he learned what it was like to be obedient, even in the face of tremendous suffering. And he passed with flying colors. And this is a really important point. Because if Jesus had not suffered, then his obedience would have cost him nothing. He's still obedient, but it doesn't cost him anything. Yet the fact that he suffered and was obedient still brings out the fullness of that obedience. See, his suffering highlighted and underlined both the quality and the integrity of his obedience. And why did he suffer? Well, that's the third thing we can learn here. He he suffered for us to bring us eternal life eternal salvation because he's not a source of eternal salvation he's the source of eternal salvation do you want eternal salvation well jesus is the only place to find it it can't be found in our good works it can't be found in our family heritage It can't be found in our religious actions. It can only be found in Jesus because he suffered for us. And that means he's the perfect representative for us, the only one who can represent us. And then fourthly, because of all of that, Jesus was designated as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Again, we thought about what that means earlier. Jesus isn't just a normal priest. Jesus is a king priest. And so do you see how from those four things we learn just how wonderful Jesus is and just how supremely qualified he is to represent us. And isn't that the kind of representative you want? One who is willing to suffer, even to the point of death, for us. Imagine having a lawyer who would do that. Imagine a lawyer who, if he failed, would, give you, would pay for your fine or would go to jail for your sake. I mean, if you had a lawyer who was willing to do that, wouldn't you just think that was the best lawyer you'd ever had? Wouldn't you just tell people, how great is this lawyer? I'm meant to be going to jail. He's going to jail for me instead. In a sense, that is what Jesus is like, but far, far better. Because Jesus didn't just go to jail for us. He died the most humiliating and painful of deaths on a cross for our sake. Jesus didn't just pay a fine for us but bore the full front of God's wrath poured out against our sin for our sake. See, Jesus, the perfectly sinless one, suffered for us so that we might have eternal life. That is the kind of representative that he is. And don't you want to follow one like that? Well, at the start, we saw how being qualified for task can be the difference between life and death. We've seen then how Jesus is supremely qualified to represent us before God because he understands us, because he's one of us, because he was chosen for us, and because he suffered for us. And so then, come back with me to the cosmic courtroom. You're standing before the judge's bench, and sitting behind it is God, the supreme judge of all things. In his hand is his gavel, and he's about to make a judgment call on you, But before he does, he gives you a chance to make your case. What do you do? Who will you turn to? I think for most Australians, in that moment, they will rely on themselves. They will rely on themselves to defend themselves and to build a case for themselves and to point to their own good works. But the problem is they are not qualified for the task. We are not qualified for the task. We are not qualified to stand in that cosmic courtroom before the supreme judge of all things. And in fact, worse than that, worse than not being qualified, it is actually us that's the problem. It's our record that is the problem. And so therefore, if in that moment we rely on ourselves, then we will be in a lot of trouble. And being qualified for a task can be the difference between life and death. And being qualified for this task can be the difference between eternal life and eternal death. The good news of this passage is that we do not need to rely on ourselves because we have the most wonderfully qualified representative that there is. See, if you rely on Jesus, then in that moment, you can be so, so confident. Earlier we said we'd come back to verse 16 in chapter 4. We're going to do that now. Have a look at verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, in this cosmic courtroom, at that moment where God asks you to make your case, if we rely on Jesus, then we can approach the bench, we can approach the throne with confidence. Why? Well, not because of ourselves or our own work but because of Jesus, the perfectly qualified one, the one who understands us, the one who is born as one of us, the one who was chosen for us by God, and the one who suffered for our sake. That one is speaking on our behalf. I wonder, are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in the qualified high priest? Well, if the answer to that is yes, then you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And what that does is it turns that moment from a fearful moment, from a terrifying moment, from a horrifying moment. Actually, it turns it into a joyful moment where our great representative Jesus comes and he puts his arm around our shoulders and he pulls us close and he speaks for us. And when God looks on us, he instead sees that representative. What a joy that is to know that in that moment, we would not need to be scared. We do not need to be anxious. We do not need to be nervous. But we can be confidently joyful because of Jesus. So being qualified for a task can be the difference between life and death. But being qualified for this task can be the difference between eternal life and eternal death. One day we all will stand before that cosmic court. We'll all face that supreme judge of all things. And when we do, We need someone who's supremely qualified to represent us. And so on that day, who will speak for you? I'm going to pray and thank God for Jesus, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hebrews 4 and 5. Thank you for the way it shows us just how good Jesus is, just how qualified Jesus is to represent us. We know that one day we will stand before you. We know we'll have to give an account for ourselves. And we know that if we were to um, stand on our own legs, if we were to rely on ourselves, that we will fail miserably because we're not up for the task. We're not qualified for the task. We thank you, though, you haven't left us to that. You haven't left us to have to stand on our own legs to represent ourselves thank you that you have given us Jesus, the one who's perfectly qualified to represent us. We thank you that because of that, we can approach that day with great confidence, joyful confidence, knowing that because of him, because he suffered for us, we have eternal life coming. So we thank you for Jesus. Would you help us trust in Jesus with great confidence? We pray in his name. Amen.